Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special live edition of Alyssa Milano. Sorry, not sorry. I am so grateful that you took time out of your day to join in. Uh, Just a quick note for those listening after the fact, we're recording a live webinar uh, and using the sound directly from that recording. So if we sound a little different than usual, that is why. So let's jump right into it. This week, the United States Senate failed spectacularly in its duty to protect democracy when every member of the GOP joined a filibuster against the For the People Act. Now, the For the People Act is a sweeping and incredibly, incredibly important bill designed to protect our democracy. To talk about the bill and what happens next, I've invited Senator Jeff Merkley here today, uh, someone whom I love and respect so much. Senator Merkley was the lead sponsor of the For the People Act in the Senate. Senator Merkley is a fierce defender of democracy and a champion of putting people ahead of corporate interests. As a U.S. Senator from Oregon, he's taken on Wall Street special interests and even his own party leadership to make sure that the American people always come first. Isn't that refreshing? And later in the show, you will have a chance to ask Senator Merkley your questions about the For the People Act. Now, to do so, please use the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. We'll get to as many questions as we can in the time that we have. Senator, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, you're very welcome. It's great to be with you. And thank you for focusing attention on this. Of course, of course. Thank you for all your hard work on this. I really want to talk about the For the People Act and what happened this week. But I think to get there, can you first tell us about your thoughts on the state of democracy in America today and why we actually need for the People Act. You bet. I think um, in every republic, you you have a tension between government uh, directed by the people through the ballot box and their elected representatives and a group of very powerful, privileged individuals who hate that idea. And so they want to use all the mechanisms of power to control where the nation goes. That means reams of lawyers. That means uh, in huge numbers of lobbyists. The, the drug industry alone has three lobbyists in D.C. for every single member of, of Congress. It means mm. media campaigns to, to shape the, the vision of where we go. And it, it means uh, using every tool they have to influence elections. So that's where we come down to really the, the heart of this battle. Uh, And what we have is uh, uh, basically state governments saying, let's return to pre-1965 and put laws in place that make it very hard for targeted communities to vote. Let's make it hard for black Americans, uh, communities of color, college students and tribal members to vote. Now, that is really unethical. It's racist. It takes us deep into the past. 
And they're defending it in the same way that Jim Crow was defended, which was state rights. Let the states do what they want, even if it violates fundamental democratic or human values. So we're in big trouble. And one of the tools is gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is drawing districts to favor one party over the other. And that results in a complete assault on equal representation and a lot of cynicism about the validity of representation. A second tool is dark money. So billionaires and corporations can run money through a whole series of shell groups and then basically do those incredible amounts of attack ads that we all see on the receiving end. It's it's designed to drown out the voice of the people with this huge uh, flood of uh, dark uh, corporate money. And then you have uh, these actual direct attacks on people for voting. And the, the theory is this. Limit voting to election day, because on election day, it's very easy to make it hard for people to vote. You reduce the number of precincts in targeted communities. You understaff them. You move their location every two years. You put them where there's no parking. Uh, You cut the hours in the evening. Uh, All of these, and you put out misinformation about about where the locations are or when the vote is being held. One of the most diabolical things I saw was a a strategy of putting out uh, social media that says, sorry, you missed the vote last week, Mm. which when the vote was actually the coming uh, Tuesday. And uh, so the the remedy to that is early voting. The remedy is uh, vote by mail, which is why President Trump hated vote by mail, because he wanted to use these instruments of manipulation for the powerful. So we're in big trouble. And this act, the For the People Act, addresses each and every one of these provisions to restore the integrity of elections and the power of the people in America. How did we get here? Well, you know, uh, I, I kind of pinch myself and say, is this really happening? Yeah. But my, I'll tell you my theory on this. Uh, I'm open to other interpretations, but... What Trump did in his campaign and in his four years in office was make things acceptable uh, as strategies, Uh, whether it was white supremacist uh, uh, demonstrations uh, attacking uh, black American uh, demonstrations. Uh, It basically pitted people against each other, uh, saying that uh, immigrants who commit crimes at, at a lower rate than people born in America are all rapists and murderers. In other words, uh, basically creating uh, a, a, a significant permission uh, right. uh, about attacking uh, people of color and their rights. I think Trump took us back to pre-1965. And so your theory is that you think that, that our elected officials feel emboldened because of Trump's strategy. And tactics. Yes. And a piece that he added, which was a very big piece, was to say, hey, this last election uh, was uh, won by him. And so therefore, state legislatures go out and do these things uh, because, hey, there were fake vote by mail ballots. Uh, There were fake early voting. Uh, And all of that has been investigated and it's untrue. But it is to create the facade argument the, of saying, no, we're, we're not trying to be racist. We're just trying to increase the integrity of elections. Uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of diabolical. Uh, but, but that big lie has reverberated through what Trump called Trump media, uh, the, the radio stations, the far right channels, the social media, 
that convinces a lot of people, oh yeah, uh, hey, we, we need this form of action or that form of action to counter what Trump was describing, even though what Trump was describing uh, is a lie. Let's talk about solutions. How does the, the act solve these problems? Well, let's start with the gerrymandering piece. It creates independent commissions across the country, equally divided between Democrats, Republicans, and and independents. Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, you bet. So um, with every 10 years where we have a census, uh, you have to decide how to how to split up your your state into districts of, of equal size so that you have maybe you have five members of Congress. You need five districts. And the way you draw those should not favor one party over the other. Favoring one party over the other is gerrymandering. And so um, if, if you basically have independent commissions, it's very effective in saying, hey, you gotta reach agreement. Uh, the DSRs and independents have to get, reach agreement about what is, is a fair uh, boundaries for these districts. Therefore, politicians don't, don't choose their voters. Voters choose their politicians as it, as, it, as it should be. So that's, that's how the independent commissions work. And that's very important because just this coming September, we expect for states to start redrawing their boundaries based on the, on the last uh, census. So it's, there's an urgency of getting this bill done. The second piece is to set national uh, standards in relation to protecting the ballot. So establishing uh, no excuse absentee uh, voting. Uh, establishing 15 days or more of early voting, uh, making sure that you don't say, hey, there'll only be one drop box for a million people over here, but, but there'll be a drop right. box for, for every thousand people over here to try to make it easier in one place than, in, than another. So fair and equal treatment of people across the country in terms of access to ballot. And then basic national standards on election day too, that you have to have essentially uh, precincts distributed by population, so that, that you don't have way overcrowded precincts mm-hmm. or way understaffed precincts and those forms of, of manipulation and making it a crime to put out false information about the location or timing of, of the elections. Uh, so that um, basically if you try to disrupt elections by lying, lying to people, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a crime. The last, uh, really, well, I won't say the last, but the, the third big uh, piece of this is dark money. And so it ends the shell game. Uh, you have to shine a light. You have to be able to know where money came from in, in elections. It's ironic that if, if you or I give a small donation to a candidate, they have to disclose who it is. But if a corporation or a billionaire gives a massive donation through dark money, they don't have to disclose who they are. I mean, shouldn't it be the other way around? Yes. Small donations, why, you know, why is that significant? Uh, it's really significant for the mega donation, but it shows you the influence of power in our election system, the bias towards the, the powerful. And what has happened, well, there's one fourth thing I want to mention, and that's the conflict of interest provisions, which basically says, let's make sure we take on the conflicts of interest so our public officials serve the public. So, and all four of these, wildly popular among Democrats and Republicans and independents across the nation. It's only those who are elected to Congress where the Republicans have been fiercely opposed. And it comes down to a power argument. Mitch McConnell, the leader in the Senate for the Republicans, has said, you know what? These are valuable to my team. I like the House being gerrymandered. And political scientists say right now there's about a 15-vote advantage due to gerrymandering for Republicans in the House. That's significant. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I hear Republicans talking about, hey, if we do this even better, that is more viciously gerrymandering, uh, we can get 25-seat advantage in, in the House. And Mitch McConnell loves the dark money. Uh, it was in 2014 that the dark money unleashed by Citizens United uh, shifted six Senate seats and gave him the majority. So he's all for the dark money. And he's all for making it hard for Democrats to vote. Because if you can use those tactics I described to shift the, the vote two or three percent, you shift a huge number of races across the boundary from right. blue to red. And you take purple states and you turn them to deep red states. So I just want to stress upon, I want to stress to my listeners how important it is to fill out the census when it's time, because I feel like there are a lot of people that don't understand what it does. Um, So everyone that's listening, when it's time to fill out the census, please, please, please be a part of it. Um, Okay, now I want to get to what happened in the Senate this week. Uh, How did the bill gain majority support, but still not come up for a full vote? Uh, So we we worked very hard to make sure that uh, every Democrat was going to vote to put the bill on the floor. Yes. Uh, And uh, we we worked with all of our colleagues. We had those votes. We hoped uh, that in so doing, uh, Republicans would join us. I mean, this really is about fundamental Democratic uh, values. But Mitch McConnell came to the floor and basically bragged and said, I've got my caucus locked down. That's, it's, I can't imagine how embarrassed some of my Republican colleagues must be mm. about the fact that they are controlled by the Mitch McConnell puppet master. Mm-hmm. But, but they fall into place because of these sources of corruption benefit them in their elections and benefit their party. And so as they're buying into essentially the viewpoints of many of their primary voters influenced by that Trump media uh, bubble. So they all voted against it. Here is the thing, on a motion to proceed to a bill, we still require 60 votes to close debate. And it used to be that if you voted to close debate, against closing debate, you you were saying, and we wanna keep talking, we wanna keep making our points. We're not ready for that final vote. But now it is just a strategy of obstruction, not a strategy of uh, compromise, uh, not, a, not a strategy to get an amendment heard. I mean, this is just getting the bill to the floor. So we had a 50-50 vote. We did not have the 60 votes. And quite frankly, we have to throw out uh, this rule on the motion to proceed. It serves no purpose. It ties the Senate up, wasting its time debating whether to debate. If there's any time you would say that, that the, uh, uh, the, the cloture rule might have some value, it would be when you're actually debating a bill and trying to produce a, a compromise, but certainly not on the motion to proceed. I mean, I, I feel silly that this is my next question because it sh- just shouldn't be a thing, but uh, it is a thing. And why are the Republicans so opposed to protecting democracy? Yeah, is it's... Uh, supremacy? Is it, is it just keeping control of power? Um, what is it? Do, do they all get 
you know, arrested at some point because they have something to hide? What's happening? It's holding on to power or reclaiming power. It's a power argument. I mean, if we go back to what things looked like coming out of the Civil War, and I, I, you know, why am I going back to the Civil War? At the end of the Civil War, uh, there was the 13th Amendment, which ostensibly ended slavery, except it had a clause which said, unless you're convicted of a crime, and then you can be rented back into slavery. And so the South government said, hey, here's our chance to block blacks, Americans, out of power. We can arrest them. We can convict them. So they created what were called black codes. And these codes said, if you didn't yield the sidewalk, you talked too loud, you changed employers without permission, you were unemployed, all of those were crimes, you're arrested, you're convicted, you're rented back into slavery. And with the side benefit is you won't be able to vote. And then that proceeded with all kinds of other strategies to keep black Americans from having civil rights, including, by the way, 80 years in which the only thing the filibuster blocked was civil rights for, for black Americans. Well, that strategy of manipulating the vote to maximize political power is exactly what the Republicans are doing right here. It's, it's so unnerving and upsetting. Uh, what do you think needs to happen to make the Senate functional again? I mean, I'm old enough to remember uh, when it was the House that was considered the more dysfunctional body and the Senate, you know, were kind of like the grown-ups in the room. So what do you need to, right? So what do you need, what do we need to do? What do you think needs to happen to make the Senate functional again? Uh, Alyssa, the, the reason I ended up uh, leading this effort is I first came here as an intern uh, in college, 1976, long time ago, and then dropped out of college for a year to be here for the first year of the Carter administration, and then worked for Congress in the 1990s. Uh, and I saw a Senate that worked. So when I was elected to the U.S. Senate and came back here, I was just shocked by what had transpired. Mm. I could not believe, as you put it, that the adults had left the building. Mm. And this abuse of the filibuster is at the, the heart of this. Uh, if you go back to when Lyndon Johnson was majority leader, he only one time in six years had to file to close debate because people said their piece and then they voted on a bill, even controversial bills. They did not obstruct them. But when Harry Reid became majority leader, well, in his first six years, and I was here for uh, a good portion of those six years, uh, he had to file to close debate 400 times on motions to proceed, on nominations, uh, on um, amendments, on everything. Uh, and those motions eat up a week of the Senate's time. So it just basically paralyzed the Senate. So I started saying, hey, wait, folks. This is not the Senate that our founders designed. Our founders wrote the U.S. Constitution when they were under the Confederation Congress and which required a supermajority and paralyzed them. So they warned us, right. do not require a supermajority for legislation. And Hamilton said you'll get tedious delays and contemptible compromises. And Madison said that if the majority, will of the majority bows the will of the minority, you violate the very premise of uh, democratic governance. Mm. And so here we are doing exactly what our founders said not to. And uh, the result is exactly what they predicted. They had experienced this uh, before. So we, we have to reach some form of modification. And here's the idea that, that I'm putting forward, which is honor the idea of my colleagues uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, that we should not have a system in the Senate where we run over the top of the minority. 
The minority should be able to slow things down to pursue a compromise. They should be able to slow things down in order to make sure they get amendments or slow things down to make sure they're able to deliver floor speeches. But ultimately, the minority should not be able to paralyze the Senate. That's the other half that we're missing right, right now. And so uh, honor the sense that the Senate should not be the House where they do run over the top of the minority. And we can get there in several ways. Uh, we can have the talking filibuster, which um, I had a, a vote on this. I think it was in 2013. Every Democrat who was here at that time who voted in, on, on my talking filibuster eight years ago, I voted for it uh, because they could already see the, the problem. There's the, the Tom Harkin, a senator from Iowa. He had another strategy. He said, okay, just let people slow things down but not paralyze. Let's reduce the number required to close debate every few days. So you go a couple days mm. and then you go from 50 to 58 and then to 56 and so mm. forth. Uh, so, so there are ways to honor the impulses about using procedure to give the minority a fair chance to make their case and participate, but not paralyze the place. And I think ultimately we're going to have to get 50 Democrats into the room and work out some version of that. I mean, what happens next with the bill? Is, is it along with its protections? Is it truly dead? No, no. You know, think of what happened yesterday. That was that was round one in the fight. There's going to be round two, round three, round four. We're going to keep at it because yes. it's too important. You know, on something, let's say it was on background checks on guns. And you go, oh, we failed. We only got 55 votes to close debate. We wanted 60. We're going to have to wait till we have uh, different folks selected two years from now. On this, we cannot wait. The districts are going to be gerrymandered within months. With the uh, preparations for the primary elections for next year are underway already by, by states. This is urgent. This is immediate. Uh, Americans, millions of Americans, are going to be robbed of their fundamental access to the ballot uh, if we do not act. We cannot let that happen. Okay, so if, if that was round one, how can my listeners push and help you for round two? We must well, do better on this, and how can we help? To all of your listeners, thank you for listening. For Thank you for being engaged. Thank you, Alyssa, for uh, uh, helping to mobilize people because the only way to get there is to have massive grassroots pressure and inside champions. We have to have the combination. And I think the key is to say to your senators, we hold you accountable for defending the Constitution. You took an oath to the Constitution. Don't make excuses about Mitch McConnell. You've got to get this done. It's, it's the top item. Everything else, this is a pivot point for America. If we fail in this and the powerful control this country through manipulated elections, we will have a massive cynicism and disengagement, which further helps the, the powerful. And we will fail on health care, on housing, on education, living wage jobs, the Equality Act, which Make sure that we end discrimination for the LGBTQ community. We'll fail on climate. And I'll tell you right now, the Western United States is burning up because of yes. climate change. And uh, so everything we care about on a policy front requires a system of voting that gives power to the people so, so that the, the power rises up from the people, not down from the powerful and privileged. So this really affects everything we care about. And so let your senators know they're held accountable and remind them of this, that, hey, Mitch McConnell, his top priority was tax cuts for the rich. So he changed the rules. His next priority was tax cuts for corporations. So he changed the rules. 
His next priority was putting uh, corporatists onto the Supreme Court, so he changed the rules. His next priority was, was do, speeding up uh, the packing of the lower courts with the same corporatists, so he changed the rules. He, he changed it from 30 hours of debate to two hours of debate. In other words, a 15-fold speed up in the time with which uh, judges can be confirmed mm. in order to fill every vacancy uh, with these far-right, anti-environmental, anti-consumer, anti-civil rights individuals. And so we don't really have filibuster, no filibuster. What we have right now is a simple majority pathway for Republican priorities for the powerful, right. and we have the Republicans able to obstruct Democrats from getting their bills done for the people. Right. I, I think about it like the old phrase, uh, heads I win, tails you lose. Mm-hmm. That's the situation Mitch McConnell is in. He wins when he's in charge and he wins when we're in charge because he can block everything we're doing. It's outrageous if we allow that imbalance to be sustained. And so do not let us off the hook. Uh, make sure every, every Democrat is ready uh, to do their job under their oath to the Constitution to defend the rights of Americans. And if, if, um, if Mitch McConnell can change the rules for his priorities, we can change them for ours. Yes. Uh, yes. I'd like to take some questions now from the audience. Um, we have some great questions here. Can you speak? This is from Debriana. Uh, hi, Debriana. Thanks for being with us today. Can you speak to concerns about the DOJ and specifically nothing from them beyond a strongly worded letter in the Arizona audit? So I caught that uh, uh, the, the question is about the Department of Justice and their ability to engage specifically on the audit in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's uh, th- that they haven't gone beyond a strongly worded letter. Yeah. So, um, well, <laughs> interesting question. I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I don't have great insight on what they can do about that audit. I, uh, the, uh, the, it's not really an audit. I think what the uh, folks in Arizona are calling it is a fraud it, uh, and a fraud audit uh, because the group doing the audit uh, has no expertise, had no um, integrity protocols. Uh, they thought what they could do in a week is taking them months. Uh, and uh, essentially, no one will believe that there's anything authentic about the outcome uh, because of, of all of those, those problems. I don't know that there is any power to actually stop it from happening. It would be mm-hmm. unprecedented to, to intervene and say you can't, can't do an audit. Uh, mm-hmm. If there is that power... Uh, I'm not aware of it, but then again, I'm not a, a legal expert. Well, th- I feel like they would figure out a way to stop it, right? Well, they, they would. They, they would try, and they would try. Uh, they would try. They would search for every, and we and we should as well. But here's the thing: what that audit is about is about keeping alive the big lie that the right. that the election was stolen. And as soon as they finish that audit, they're going to get some other state to try to do something else to keep in the news this big. Big lie. That big lie is responsible for people storming the Capitol. People died because of that storming. Uh, there were folks going through the hallways looking 
to kill the vice president of the United States of America because of that big lie. And it continues to undermine uh, our country. I thought when I was growing up, how did Germany go off track, so off track after World War I and just kind of have a democratic system that collapsed into authoritarian, horrific actions? This is how. Here, here, here we are seeing it, seeing it happen. You get somebody who's willing to lie to the country and have a media that echoes that lie. And, and thus we end up where we are. And it's deep damage. This deep damage is going to reverberate mm-hmm. for a long time. All the more important that we somehow get the For the People Act passed and try to cut off the, the, the damage happening at the state level. Uh, Jimmy Lippy asks, hi, Jimmy, uh, opon- opponents of this act at the grassroots level are absolutely laser focused on the voter identification discussion. How can the voter ID issue be explained so that it's better understood? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the reason that uh, they like voter ID is what they like is uh, corrupted voter ID. And by that, I mean, for example, you say, uh, your concealed carry permit for guns, that counts. Uh, but your uh, state-issued ID for your state colleges doesn't count. And for example, in Iowa, they said, hey, only IDs with an expiration date count. Why'd they say that? Well, because the college IDs didn't have an expiration date on, on them. And so uh, that's the strategy. It isn't about the, I mean, it's easy to fake an ID. It's much harder to fake a signature. So states that, that use signatures and compare the signature on file to mm-hmm. the signature you sign on the back of your absentee ballot, uh, that is really powerful because if the signatures don't match, uh, then, then the ballot is uh, set aside uh, and you have to go in and, and authenticate it. It's possible that over 20 or 30 years, your signature changed enough that it doesn't look the same. I, mm-hmm. Actually, I think my signature has changed over 20 years. Every now and then I think about, uh, is my signature going to match? And uh, I'm glad that in Oregon, we have a system where we're notified if it doesn't, doesn't match. But so the IDs are not about integrity. They are part of the strategy of preventing specific communities from voting. And they, the Republicans have gone through and realized fewer people have IDs on their approved ID list. Or let me put it differently, they've chosen their approved ID list right. to favor Republicans over Democrats. That's what it's all about. Uh, Matthew DeSantis asks, young adults and teenagers don't have the right to vote, so many politicians treat them as non-participants in political dialogue, yet they are the demographic that will inherit inherit these problems for the next 75 to 30 years, uh, uh, 75 to 80 years. What role should teenagers and young adults play in protecting democracy, um, and what is their incentive to pay attention to issues like this and work to make change? You know, whenever I speak to a student audience, I, I, in advance, I ask uh, the folks who are organizing them to have people say, what do you not like and what do you want to see changed? Because when young folks go, well, what I don't like is this, then, then they're suddenly like aware of why participation matters because it's, it's through participation that you change that. You don't like the fact that a generation ago, uh, public universities were so cheap, you could pay your tuition working a minimum wage job over the summer. And now you end up with $20,000 of, of, of debt. Right. Uh, that's pretty outrageous. Okay. Uh, now you have an issue. 
Now you understand why it matters who you campaign for, uh, who you vote for, uh, and uh, and you realize that you have some power to affect that at the state level and at the national level. And um, so I think it's really important to have, I, I'm, I'm less excited about traditional civics than I am about the type of uh, classes in high school that say, here's how you as a citizen can be involved and make a difference. Because that's much more interesting than, than if you will, studying the, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it, I'm not, I don't want to degrade, if you will, understanding the separation of powers or the Bill of Rights. Those, that's great. But what really engages youth is understanding you can make a difference on things you care about. You're concerned mm-hmm. about climate, mm-hmm. you can make a difference. And here's how this system allows you to make that, that difference. Now, I, I think often about the what privilege it is in America that I can insult the President of the United States and not, not be uh, assassinated for it. Realize in many countries in the world, you cannot voice your opinion in the fashion we do here. Uh, let's use that to drive change. We, we have this opportunity, but to do it effectively, we have to have a fair system, which takes us right back to why S1 matters. I do like the idea of states uh, considering uh, letting people vote when they're 17, so their senior year of high school, mm. you have an opportunity to say, you get to vote this year. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the issues. Mm. Let's talk about the people fighting for those issues mm. uh, in, in order to get people engaged before they're off, out of high school, and maybe no longer thinking about it. Also why I like uh, voter registration uh, through uh, Department of Motor Vehicles. So when people get their license, uh, they're already registered. So they're getting the campaign mailings. Hopefully they're getting the campaign mailings, even if they're not yet, yet able to vote. Yeah, automatic registration. I don't know why that's that's such a thing that that the GOP is opposed to because it just makes so much sense. Um, an anonymous attendee asked Senator Merkley, "When you talk to GOP senators privately, are there any uh, privately who agree with you on the For the People Act but won't support it publicly because of fear of McConnell or their voting base?" So I I think about, for example, the Disclose Act. Uh, There were Republicans who supported the Disclose Act, which is part of the uh, For the People. And Disclose basically is that provision that ends dark money. You make a big donation. You can't run it through shell organizations. uh, Your name has to be disclosed. And uh, and so I've had Republicans say, you know, I really do believe in that. Uh, the, the, the mantra that they used to say, because we have all these speeches by Republicans in the past that said, oh, we, we oppose campaign donation limits, McCain-Feingold, um, but disclosure is the sunlight that disinfects the system. And right. so Republican after Republican and Republican said that, and then we had the disclosure bill up as standalone a few years ago, and every single Republican voted against closing debate on it. In other words, they filibustered it. And they did it twice. We had 59 votes twice. We couldn't get that 60th. Not one senator would break ranks with their party, even as they told us privately, they agreed with the principle. And that shows you the pressure with Mitch McConnell saying, look, this money works to our benefit. And we care about winning. So don't touch it. Don't disclose it. Our donors, a lot of them do not want to to have people know who, who they are. Uh, they want to exercise their power, their manipulation in complete anonymity. Right. 
there's so many questions that we're not going to get to that are really good questions. Um, but I want to be mindful of your time. Um, so I, I think I want to end on a personal note for you. Um, I'd love to know how it feels going to work every day. Is it hard with what's happening right now in our country? So, well, you know, um, yeah, take a breath, because I feel like so often, you know, we expect our elected officials to be not human and for this to not be really impactful on, on their well-being and their hearts and their souls. But the five years that, that you know, we've had have been really difficult for me, and I'm not going to work every day in that building. So tell me, tell me how you are. Well, I can tell you that last year I was up for election and I wrestled with whether I should run for election again because the Senate is so broken, so dysfunctional. There's other mm. things you can do with your life. Uh, I come from Oregon. It's a long commute every week to go mm. home to, to Oregon. Uh, many of the times I think about the state legislature being uh, far more functional as it was mm. in Oregon. I used to be part of the state legislature. Um, and um, I thought, you know, I've got to run in order to take one additional try of everything I can to fix the Senate. And so it's that mission that gets me up uh, every day. And then I save my soul by going back to Oregon every weekend. Um, I, I, I accept that that is a horrendous act in terms of uh, my climate footprint, my carbon footprint. I apologize to everyone for that, uh, but it keeps me in this battle. Uh, uh, and um, uh, the, I have seen a huge transition in terms of my fellow senators seeing that it is, it is time to change the system. I wish we had 53 votes right now, not, mm. not 50 even, uh, because that makes it uh, very hard. Uh, but it does make us listen to each and every senator among the 50. And again, I want to, to note that uh, my, my colleagues, uh, uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, their idea that this should be bipartisan discussion and it should be supported and bipartisan to protect the values is right. But I hope that if ultimately that fails, we'll all be able to come together uh, to uh, defend uh, the Constitution and, and these rights. But, but being at that 50, it focuses us to listen to everyone. Mm. and um, take that into uh, account. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I try to recharge my batteries. I, <laughs> I, the other thing I've, I've done, Alyssa, is really uh, focus on exercise. Uh, that has right. helped me a lot. I recently, uh, three weeks ago, I pulled my hamstring, and so I can feel the, the greater weight <laughs> of, the, of the dysfunction yeah. without ex because I'm not exercising uh, each morning. Yeah, but, I, I, I twisted my ankle last week, so I've been... <sighs> totally immobile and I feel it. Yeah. Well, here's to healing our bodies and yes. healing our souls by winning this battle. Uh, my final question for you is what gives you hope? What do I hope? What gives you hope? What gives me hope? Yes. Well, the fact that uh, we are still in this battle, we have, we have not lost. Uh, people have said, well, aren't you discouraged after losing yesterday? We did, yesterday, the goal was to have 50 senators united uh, to make a statement about principle. We made that statement. Yeah, we didn't get the bill on the floor, but that is a step towards the next step, 
which is to come back and make one more effort to get the Republicans on board. We are not giving up. And I can tell you, I've been involved in so many fights that took um, just coming back time and time again. I think about how I first went to the state legislature and took on payday loan industry. And the payday loan industry was charging 500% interest rates. So in two years, a low-income individual who took out $1,000, owes $25,000, and they're sucked into a vortex of debt they never recover from. And one year later, it's $125,000. I mean, these just outrageous, outrageous usury. Well, uh, it took me nine years to win that battle, and I couldn't win it until I became speaker. But I persisted and persisted and persisted. And then when there was the moment, we seized it. Well, right now, we don't have nine years, we don't have two years, we don't have one year, uh, but the same philosophy is persist, persist, persist. Elizabeth Warren made that uh, famous when McConnell said her problem is she persists, and we were like, yeah, she does, right? (laughs) That's what we have to do in grassroots America and inside the building. We have to persist, and then when that moment uh, of opportunity comes, we seize it. And on this bill, we have to seize it before the summer's out. Well, thank you so much. Senator Merkley, both for your hard work on this bill and the hard work you have always done on our behalf. Uh, Well, friends who are listening, you've just heard it. Our democracy is under threat. We've seen direct um, attacks from elected officials and continued attacks from special interests, anti-American forces like the Proud Boys and QAnon, and from states and state parties who are more interested in power than people. It can't stand. And it really is on us to do something about it because clearly the GOP won't. I know this is not a federal election year, but we can't check out of the political process. Saving America is a a full-time job. It's a full contact sport every day of every single year. So we can't wait for the 2022 midterms or the 2024 presidential election to get involved. Right now in each of our communities, activist groups and local candidates They need you. Maybe local elections need you to run for office. If we can't fix this from the top, we damn sure better fix it from the bottom. The Republicans in Washington, and sadly, more than a few Democrats, have chosen to abandon their role as leaders. So let's make them followers of the people, by the people, and for the people. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure to subscribe to Alyssa Milano's Sorry Not Sorry everywhere you find your podcast. And if you like us, please rate, review, and tell your friends. God bless you all. Thank you, Senator. Thank you very much. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. 